Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. I want to tell you this morning the most amazing story that I've ever heard. I was walking the other day when I suddenly remembered that I left home without cutting off the coffee pot. Rain comes often this time of year, but not as much as the circus and the elephants. Oh, and by the way, have you heard what's been going on with North Korea? Adelie and Titus started school this past week. And let me tell you, I am not sure if they like it or not. But I do know that I believe my favorite dessert is ice cream. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Are you following me? I'm afraid that what we've just experienced is you and I were together trying to grasp at what this man is trying to say behind here. He's here and there and everywhere. I'm afraid that what you and I just experienced, trying to make sense of my senseless story, is really what most of our prayer lives look like. If we're all honest, our prayer lives are dominated by distraction. Realistically, the reason I believe that our prayer lives are dominated by distraction is because we live a life that is dominated by distraction. So in the midst of all of this world that is so distracting, so many things pulling for our our attention, here we are at the beginning of a school year. For many of us, that means either picking up our own kids or our grandkids or somebody else's kids, whatever the case may be. And it's a great opportunity for us to think about how busy and hectic life can be. And we need something to center us. We need Someone who is so majestic. Someone who is so awesome. Someone who is so captivating to come be the absolute subject of everything that we hold dear, to be the subject of all of our affections. And listen to me carefully. Jesus has come to be that and who which captivates our attention. Jesus has come to quiet our souls so that no matter what may be going on around us, the threat of warfare, financial struggle, death, disease, whatever hardship you're going through, or maybe whatever good thing that you're going through, we can see striving and we can know that He is God. As the psalmist says again, From Psalm 62, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Rest in God alone, my soul. For my hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. So ask yourself a question. We begin thinking about prayer this morning as we launch and continue this series as we're looking in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer. And by the way, if you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 8 today again. But ask yourself a question. Is your soul at rest? Or are you running around in circles, fretting over so many 
things. Let's say this again because we're in the Gospel of Matthew because it's this wonderful story of this salvation that has come through this life of Jesus. Jesus has come so that our souls can find rest. As a hymn writer from yesteryear put it, My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living One, His wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, that He died for me. Jesus has come so that our souls could find their rest. And let me just ask you again, is your soul this morning at rest or are you troubled and anxious by so many things? And there's a way for you to express your rest. There's a way for you to look at your life and see whether or not you are expressing this rest that Jesus has come to give you. And one of the ways, this is so glorious, don't miss this, one of the ways that you and I get to express this rest that Jesus has come to bring us is through a ministry that He has given for us, a ministry that He has opened the way for us, a ministry of prayer. How many of you know everything there is to know about prayer? How many of you would say that your prayer life is exactly where you want it to be. How many of you would be honest and say, man, I sure do wish that I prayed more than I pray now. You see, prayer is so gloriously mysterious. Gloriously mysterious. And if you were to ask me, if you were to come to me and you say, Pastor, what is prayer? If I were to take the whole ball of wax called prayer and put it in one sentence so that we could think about it and chew on a little bit, I would probably say this. I would define it the way that has been defined for generations. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is conversation with God. Prayer is that God-given privilege where we, the children of God, get to approach this God who is, who is an indescribable light. We who are far away get to be brought near to Him and commune with Him who is holy. We get to commune with the infinite God. And I can't think of anything better than prayer. But let me say this. Let's be honest. I can't think of anything better than prayer, but I also can't think of anything that requires more discipline in our life than prayer. There's a reason why many of us don't pray more. It's because prayer is hard work. It's glorious. We get to commune with God. But listen, if we're going to have an effective prayer life, or we're going to have any kind of prayer life, then we have to be disciplined about prayer. So let's hear what Jesus has to say, since I would say that He's the authority on just about everything. Of course, we especially need to listen to Him when it comes to prayer. Listen to what He says in Matthew chapter 6. Begin with me in verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, He will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
As we come before you at this moment to pray, to learn about prayer, in this moment of preaching, would you be with us and open our eyes so that we may behold what is and who is gloriously beautiful. Father, if there's one here today who isn't praying the way that they should, may today we all with one heart agree that we want to pray the way that Jesus calls us to. And Father, if there's one here today or more that doesn't know you, may this day be the day that they respond to your grace and become wholly yours. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. So let's think about prayer. Like I said last week, if you remember where we were, we looked at these verses last week and we mentioned something. We said that how many times have you heard someone talk about prayer that the first thing they say is beware? Well, this is how Jesus opens the conversation. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, the first word is beware. So what is it about prayer that we need to be aware of? And let's just think about this from our own experience, from you as a praying person. Why is prayer so hard? If what we've said about prayer is true, if prayer is this opportunity to come away with the Lord, why do we have to fight so hard to do it? The more I live, the longer I pastor, the more I am convinced that people would like to read a book on prayer more than they'd like to pray. People would like to attend a prayer meeting where other people pray than they would even like to pray themselves. We would all like to really have a great time having a conversation and saying, you know, we're a prayerful church. Praise the Lord. But we don't really even have a clue what that means because that's just something we put on a plaque outside the church and say, hey, this is good church. Praise. Great. We'll come in. The more I pastor, the more I live, the more I'm convinced that we don't pray like we should. I don't pray. I said we, not you. We don't pray like we should. And honestly, since we've been beginning this study on the Sermon on the Mount, I am even more convinced that if this is the way that Jesus taught us to pray. By the way, this is the model prayer. We haven't even gotten into the model prayer yet. We're not even there yet. But Jesus is saying, when you pray, set your heart in this way so that you will know what to pray. So when you pray, He's going to say this in verse 9. We haven't even read it yet, but verse 9 says, pray then like this, and if we're honest this morning and we let the Word of God seep into the crevices of our heart, then we know that there is not much prayer like this going on in the world. And this is tragic. And this probably explains a great deal. Listen to me. Prayer is our confession of our longing to be with the Lord. Prayer is our confession of our longing to be with the Lord. And we want to confess and have His ways fill all of our lives. The act of praying, coming away with Jesus, is a visible expression of our communion with Him. So if that's true, if that's what prayer is, do you see? No wonder it's the subject of so much distraction. If prayer is our opportunity to tangibly express our faith in realities which we cannot see, do you understand why there's so much warfare that's associated with prayer? It's not natural for us to pray. No wonder we have to guard our prayer life. No wonder we have to grow into our prayer life. No one is born a prayer. They're made a prayer through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Praying the way that Jesus commands this way takes the supernatural work of God in our lives. And what He has to do is He has to take our old heart out of stone and give us 
as the prophets say, a heart of flesh. And you know what that heart of flesh does that he puts there? It is ready to beat in the rhythm of his praise. And anything that is outside of his praise means that our hearts will then be out of rhythm. When you think about prayer, have you ever considered prayer as a conversation with God? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever considered prayer as a conversation with God? Now, I don't mean the flippant way that we mean it, you know, just oh, just a conversation with God. I don't mean it that way. I know that especially the world that we live in today is already enough. It's been this way a long time. It's very anti-authoritative. So we don't want the world to define our terms when we say that prayer is just a conversation with God because the world understands that as just this anti-authoritative, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a conversation with God. No, no, that's not what we mean when we talk about praying. There's one way that I'll talk with you, mano y mano, and there's another way that I'll talk to you from behind this place. There's one way that I'll talk to you, and there's another way that I'll talk to my daddy. You understand? It's a difference. How much more... Should we talk with God the right way? Listen to what Ecclesiastes says. This is important. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This is why we need to be taught the way to pray. You see, Jesus has come to prepare us for an eternity with Him. That's what He's done. He's come to prepare us for an eternity with Him. What does that mean? It means that we will forever be in the presence of the Lord. Can you imagine that? We are being prepared right now. As we are as Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I think that we just read that in our bulletin this morning. We are literally, the Greek there is we are having been in the past saved ones. We are had been saved in the past and we continue on in salvation now and one day we'll be fully saved. But we're not there yet. We're being saved. That's where we are. It's this thing that the Bible calls it, we call it this language of sanctification. That is, we are being made holy. God is preparing us for the place that He is preparing. So we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be in His presence for forever. Think about this. The language of the text says we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Could you imagine that? Having a banquet, having a chair with your new name on it right next to whoever else, right next to whoever else, who's right next to the apostles, who's right next to Jesus. You're going to sit at the king's table. I wonder what the conversation is going to be like. I don't think that there'll be anyone saying, oh, i got to question Jesus. Why did this happen? Why did...? I don't think that that's going to happen at all. I don't think that any of that is going to happen. And so we're going to be sitting at the king's table and we're going to be sitting there as his sons and as his daughters. And so we better learn how to speak. We better learn how it is that God's calling us to listen. And listen to me carefully. Though we're family, we're sons and daughters. Don't miss this. We are sons and daughters. We were not always family. We were not always in God's family. We were outsiders, strangers, and aliens who had been brought into the family through the blood of Jesus. We have to learn the ways fitting for the family that we now have been brought into. This is why we have to travel through and come to Him. Because what Jesus is calling us to do is not natural to us. It is the opposite of natural. It is supernatural. Katie and I have friends who just recently adopted a son from, from China. And let me just say this as an aside very quickly. Adoption is such a beautiful picture of the Gospel. It is. They went over to China They went to this orphanage 
And they said that they opened the door in this orphanage and the smell of marijuana hit them immediately. The orphanage was using opiates. They were using marijuana and opiates to calm the children. That's how they keep them quiet, keep them high. Sad, isn't it? So my friends, motivated by the Gospel, that there's a God in heaven who came to love, heal, forgive, and take us from being orphans to heirs, they went over to China and they adopted this little three-year-old. And this little three-year-old just recently has started school. And you know what that means? He's lived three years in an orphanage in China. Guess which language he speaks? And it's not English. Now, all of a sudden, in, in one instance, he has to go from learning Chinese, from being around all these customs, and when you break for this and that, he has to relearn everything. Could you imagine that? He went from being an orphan to an heir, and now he has to learn what it means for him to be an heir because all he's ever been used to is being an orphan. He has to learn the new ways that are fitting for his new family as well as he has to learn the ways that are fitting for his new environment. Everything's new for him. And in the same way, you and I have to learn to pray. Learning to pray takes discipline. Probably the reason that many of us avoid it. Because we're distracted and undisciplined. In the 4th century, an Egyptian monk was asked, among all good works, which is the virtue which requires the greatest effort? Now, this is the 4th century. This is a desert monk. So what does this mean? This just means that these guys would leave and they would go into a monastery and they would dedicate their entire lives to prayer. A couple of his friends asked him, what's the greatest virtue that requires the greatest effort? And listen to how he answered. Listen to this. Forgive me. But I think that there is no labor greater than that of prayer to God. For every time a man wants to pray, his enemies, the demons, want to prevent him. For they know that it is only by turning him from prayer that they can hinder his journey. Whatever good work a man undertakes, if he preserves in it, he will attain rest. But prayer is warfare to the last breath. Prayer is warfare to the last breath. I want to ask you again, as we're thinking about prayer this morning, what is it that makes prayer so difficult? And I think that there are two things that make prayer so difficult. The first is God, and the second is us. What makes prayer so difficult? It's all the parties involved. It's God and it's us. Man, how much more difficult can you get? What makes prayer so difficult? God and us. Why does God make prayer so difficult? Well, here's the reason. Because He's God. Because He is holy. There still should be an awe-inspired reverence for Him as you and I approach Him. And as I look out on your faces today, you know, I, I can try to discern what some of you are thinking. Some weeks uh, I can really know what you're thinking, especially when it gets closer to time. I can really know what you're thinking. Your face really tells it all. But in, if I'm honest, I can try my best to discern what it is you're thinking. But reality is, I don't know what you're thinking. You could be having gas and nobody knows it. You know what I mean? I don't know what you're thinking. I have no idea what you're thinking. And there are only a few people who know what it is you're thinking. My wife usually knows what I'm thinking. And so I just try not to think anything sometimes. So she'll ask me. She'll say, what are you thinking? And, and then 
As soon as she says that, I know that the trap has been sprung. There's no way for me out of this. And so what do I say? I usually say something like, nothing. And you can guess how far that gets me. That doesn't get me anywhere. She wants to know what I'm thinking. See, even with my wife, I can try and I can fool her. I can say something and throw her off base and let her think that, you know, that I wasn't thinking what I was thinking. And I can try to fool her, but it's not the case with God. And this is why God makes prayer so difficult. I can't come before God and ask Him to bless my enemies when in reality, in the bottom of my heart, I'm asking Him to bless my enemies because I know that that's what I should be saying. But in the bottom crevices of my heart, I'm asking Him to go all sons of Zebedee on my enemies. You know what I mean? Remember that? When the sons of Zebedee come and say, God, should we call fire down from heaven and just consume them? And then Jesus says, calm down, James and John, calm down. I can't go before God with that kind of spirit. God knows what's in the very crevices of my heart even before I ask. And do you see where this can be a problem? Now listen, it's really not a problem. It's really not a problem that God knows everything, but it can be a problem if our hearts are not right. So there's the problem. The problem is us with God thought about this as I was studying and reading. Maybe, maybe a verse in James will help us out. Listen to what James says. James chapter 4 in verses 1 through 3. Listen to what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Listen to what he said. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now listen to what he says next. Listen to how he wraps a bow on it so we'll understand what he's talking about. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. What on earth does what we desire have to do with us praying? James seems to think that there's a correlation there. Now, Just like in Matthew. Notice what James does as we look at that verse before us. James takes for granted our praying. What else does he take for granted? He takes for granted that there's a God in heaven who listens to our praying. And more than just simply listening to our praying, there's a God in heaven who knows what we need even before we ask. I love this. And this just takes a discipline of our whole life. Even if we don't know what we need, He knows what we need. And He can discern the difference. Now, that may not make us happy when He finally gives us an answer or an unanswer, but hey, isn't that great? Because God is always desiring what's going to mean His glory, and whatever is for His glory, if you're His, you know what that means for you? It even means you're good, even if He leaves you in a difficult place. Because He's God. And so He knows what we need before we even ask. And so some may even say, well, okay, then why should we even ask anything? If God knows, why should we even ask? And let me go back to an illustration with my wife. I tell my wife that I love her. I don't want to take it for granted that she knows that I love her. And I don't want her to take for granted that she loves me. I love her looking at me in my eyes and saying, I love you. There is nothing like that. God loves us. Listen carefully. Love loves to be told what it already knows. But there's something else that Matthew and James are telling us about praying. Remember the way that Matthew 6 starts? Remember the way he said, go ahead and go back over there. Matthew chapter 6. Remember how it starts? It starts with this, beware. And then Jesus has to teach us how to pray. And and here James says the same thing. He says there's a right way and there's a 
wrong way to pray. And so I want to put those two thoughts together. Matthew's saying this. James is saying this. Jesus is saying this in Matthew. And James, the brother of Jesus, is saying it in James after listening to his brother give this message. So I want to put these two things together. Praying first, which is important, and then praying the right way. Both of those things are important. And many are dedicated to one and not the other. And if you're dedicated to one and not the other, you're not dedicated to any one. We can't just make up our mind to pray. We have to pray the right way. You say, what is the right way? The right way is the way that Jesus commands us. Look back at Matthew chapter 6. Notice this phrase in verses 5 through 8 that keeps repeating. It's in verse 5, when you pray. And then it's in verse 6. Do you see it here? When you pray. And then look at it again. Here it is in verse 7. When you pray. Now let me let you know something about that word. It's something that you can see, but I want to analyze it for you. It is in the subjunctive mood. This is the way that, that Matthew wrote the saying of Jesus in something called the subjunctive mood. You say, what does that mean? It means that Jesus' desire is for you and I to pray. You can see the difference without knowing the subjunctive mood. Look at it. It doesn't say, if you pray, does it? It says, when you pray. You know what that tells us? It tells us that if He wanted to say, if you pray, He could have easily done it. He wants us to know that prayer is something that's normal for a follower of Jesus. Now this is just about as much of a church talk as you can get. I know that we struggle really to make ourselves clear to the outside world, but this is one of these kind of church talks that everybody understands, especially here in the Bible Belt. We don't come up to one another and say, hey, are you planning on praying this week? Do you? Hey, if you're planning on praying this week, would you mind inserting this prayer? We don't talk that way, do you? We just assume that we will be praying this week. And so Christians pray, but we don't just pray anyway. We pray as Christians from a way that has given to us from Christ. And so Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. And there's something that we need to know when we're reading our Bibles. That's we look for certain things, certain things that are emphasized. And one of the things that's emphasized here is something that's repeated. When you pray, when you pray, when you pray. So Jesus wants you to pray. Now we've got to ask a question. If Jesus wants us to pray, how much does He want us to pray? And here comes the challenging part. Are you ready? Say amen if you are. Jesus wants us to pray incessantly. Jesus wants us to pray without ceasing. Isn't that what Scripture says? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. It simply says, rejoice always. It says a lot of different stuff too. Paul just sort of flings this theological dart that sort of hits our heart right in the center. Pray without ceasing. Now if that verse is true, which it is, we should say, since that verse is true. You hear the different moods of our speech? Not the subjunctive, it's not anyway. Since this verse is true, Jesus is calling us to never cease from praying. And if that's true, then we'd better make sure that we know what prayer is all about. Billy Graham was preaching to a group of ministers. And after the sermon, he had the opportunity in this group of ministers in some college or seminary, one of the two, and he had the opportunity to take questions and answers. And so one of the students asked him a question. Dr. Graham, what does it mean? 
to pray without ceasing? That's a great question, isn't it? Dr. Graham thought for a moment, and then he answered. The whole time I've been preaching, I've been praying. That was his answer. The whole time I've been preaching, I've been praying. You think that satisfied the person? Does it satisfy you? What on earth does it mean, and was he right to answer that way? Listen to me. Praying the way that Jesus calls us to is not to be separate from the life that we have in Christ. Having an attitude of prayer, never ceasing to pray, is what Christ is calling us as His followers to. So what does this mean? It doesn't mean that we won't ever go into our closets and pray, into our rooms and pray, where we have private prayer time. Come back next week. We're going to talk about the practice of prayer. So come back for next week. That's not what it means. But here's what it means, simply. To pray without ceasing means that prayer is not mechanical or it's not filled full of duty. Prayer is organic. It flows from our life that we have in Christ and therefore it's organic and delightful. Because praying flows from a life that is filled with praise. Prayer is the expression of our life with God. Now what does this mean? It means that if someone has to have oxygen to breathe, if they're in that position where they have to have oxygen all day long, It's like they're sucking in that oxygen. If they take off that oxygen, then they can't breathe. Who wants to not breathe if you have a chance to breathe? Everyone wants to breathe. That's why we have the supplemental oxygen. This is what prayer is. Prayer is not something that we... Man, i I got to go pray. We may have those moments where we discipline ourselves to pray. But what Jesus means when He says pray this way is this is the life that He is calling us to that is expressing itself through our communion with God. Let me be plain this morning. Very plain. The reason that we don't pray is that we don't desire God like we should. This is why James helps us so much to make these things clear. Because there is a connection that the beware statement in Matthew chapter 6 and all the warnings about don't pray this way, don't pray this way, but when you pray, pray this way. And then James says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you don't even ask for the right things. We need to see this this morning, and I'm laboring so that we will see this this morning. There is a connection between us not praying and our desiring the wrong things. If God is who He is, an all-inspiring, all-consuming God, then how could every thought that we have not be captivated by Him? When you get up in the morning, can you honestly before God say that He's your first thought? All through the day, are you filled with thoughts of God? At night, when it's time for you to go to bed, are you filled with thoughts with God? Now, listen, there are many distractions. I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said. We looked at this when we were looking about lust. Lust is that thing that comes in our life. Remember, that temptation that fills us with forgetfulness with God. And I think that any temptation, but especially lust, is Bonhoeffer's right to point that out. But any temptation, whether it be you're distracted by your finances, you're distracted by your family, you're distracted by your adversity. Listen, family, finance, and adversity, all those are real things. But God is greater than those things. And we have to discipline ourselves to tell our hearts, to remind us that, hey, this is what the world says. There may be a real threat of nuclear war with Korea. But you know what? God's greater. 
We are not defined by any bomb that may drop on us. We are defined by a God who is greater. This is what it means to live this life of prayer. That you take every thought captive, as another verse says, and place it under the obedience of Christ. The reason we don't pray like Jesus calls us to pray, and I'm just not saying this to hammer us. I'm saying this to call us back. The reason that we don't pray like we're called to pray is that we don't desire God enough. We are chasing after the wrong things. It's not that we don't desire. We desire a lot of things. We desire for our children to do this, for our families to do this, for our finances to do this. But you know what the problem with some of those desirings are? They're too small. They're too small. Moments that we have left. I want to leave you. I know that many of you take notes and prayerfully you've written down several things, but I know that I've conditioned you to look on the screen. And so I want to leave with two quick things in the time that we have left. Two quick things. I want to give you two ways to cultivate a life that prays without ceasing. Number one, set your heart to desire Christ. If you're going to pray without ceasing, pray the way that God's calling you to. Number one, you're going to have to set your heart to desire Christ. When you go to read your Bible and you are not getting anything out of it, and those moments come, don't they? They come with me some morning, some days. I don't want to read the Bible. You know what we have to do when those days come? Heart. Respond. Place it under the obedience of Christ. God, help me. I cannot do this on my own, but I want to. So help me. Remember what Jesus told the disciples. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Set your heart to desire Christ. To stay in prayer. Don't be carried away by those thoughts that are not Christ. Don't be carried away by those desires that aren't Christ. Two verses come to my mind. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews says, Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Run the race with endurance that's set before you. Romans says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so, you know what? God, by calling us to pray this way, He is calling us to order our mind around His ways. Order our mind around His ways. And the Bible has a word to describe a person who orders their lives around God's ways. You know what word it is? Wisdom. Examine your desires. Be honest. Examine your desires. Do you have any desires that are really and honestly attempting to compete with your desires for God? That's an important question. You can't just answer it one Sunday morning. You have to answer it Monday morning. Oh, excuse me. Sunday afternoon. Sunday evening. Monday morning. You have to answer it always. God doesn't want what's good for you. He wants what's best for you. And even if you are pursuing a good thing, God is calling you to pursue what is best. And any of you have ever had any leadership training, you know the old mantra, right? What's the greatest enemy to great? It's good. God doesn't want you to have the good. He wants you to have the best. So there's an enemy who knows this. The enemy wants to keep us distracted by so many things. He's fine with our pursuits, but 
wants us to keep pursuing in the wrong direction. He wants to keep you active. He wants to keep you zealous. He wants to keep you coming to church. He wants to keep you reading your Bible. He wants to keep you praying, but He wants to keep you praying in the wrong direction. So you think you're making progress, but you're really not. You're pursuing a God that you've made in your own image instead of pursuing the God who's made you in His image. I want to know if that describes your prayer life. You're busy. Active but you're heading in the wrong direction. Beware, Jesus says. Satan is satisfied with our pursuit of lesser things because if we spend all our times pursuing the lesser, we will never even consider the greater. So by keeping us distracted, you know what Satan does? He keeps us under-devoted. God wants to get us to the place of total devotedness to Him so that our hearts will beat only to one rhythm and that is whatever pleases Him. And anything else that is not keeping with the praise will be out of rhythm for us. And let me just be honest for you this morning. This is not some easy way. This is absolute surrender. This is not just one-time decision. This takes a disposition that is ready in every moment and every day for you to give your all to Jesus and understand that He is greater than your desire not to give it to Him. He can overcome those. You have to give your all to Jesus and be satisfied with nothing less than all of Him. Don't be underwhelmed. Be overwhelmed. This isn't easy. But this is what it means to live. Not just any kind of life. This is life at its best. Number two, this morning. If you're going to have a prayer life that is unceasing, you're going to have to constantly call your heart back to devotion. Set your heart to desiring. And then as you're setting your heart on this path, constantly call your heart. My daddy used to tell me, son, you're distracted about so many things. And then he would use this analogy. He said, you need to be like a horse with blinders on. You know what that means. You need to be like that mule who's undistracted, who sees the path before him, If the master wants him to go left, he'll go left. If he wants him to go right, he'll go right. If he wants him to go straight, I don't know if it's G or Ha, but anyway, you understand what I mean. He wants him to go in this direction. You have to constantly call your heart back to devotion. You ever seen that commercial with a guy, he does one push-up, and then the gal, she goes and she eats like one Brussels sprout, and then they think today, that's all it takes. My heart's going to be healthy. Wouldn't it be great if that's all it took? Wouldn't it be great if we could eat M&M's instead of carrots and man, we could all get in shape? Wouldn't it be fantastic? Only things were that simple. And even the thought of eating an M&M instead of a Brussels sprout to be healthy is absurdity. I know some of you are going to try it, but listen, it's absurdity. There are adverse passions in our lives. Dangerous. My pastor, Charles Stanley, calls them landmines that seek to maim and destroy Keep you ineffective for God. There are adverse passions in your life that will keep creeping back up. Just remember when they do, whatever that is that you're struggling with, that one thing will keep you ineffective for Christ. Remember those adverse passions are not what it means, even though they're attractive, even though they, they come across as bringing us pleasure. Those things are not what Life is. When we pray is not a call 
for a one and done. Jesus is calling us to pray without ceasing. So let me just ask this. How many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? Earlier in the service, Jason read Matthew 26. That scene where Jesus is heading to the cross and He takes Peter, James, and John, drops them off, and He says, I'm going to go a little further without you. You remember that scene? It's a scene etched in my mind. The Son is pleading to the Father. The Son is in such agony that blood is pouring from His face like sweat. And He gets up, do you remember? And He goes and He finds the disciples. And what are they doing? Sleeping. Of all the times, disciples, this is when you should have got it right. And we see Peter try to make up for it later. You remember he takes out his little sword and cuts off a guy's ear. But I wonder if that scene characterizes my prayer life more than it should. Does that scene characterize your prayer life? Are you distracted? Are you desiring God like He's calling you to with an all-consuming passion? And if we're honest, if we're honest, we all have more times like the disciples falling asleep than we want. But you know what the best part of that scene is? Jesus goes back to pray and He comes back and then He finds them asleep and He goes back to pray. Then He comes back. And you know what the best part of that story is? When Jesus says, Get up. The hour is at hand. Their prayerlessness did not stop Jesus from going to the cross to accomplish salvation. When we cease to pray, there is a God in heaven who today ever lives to plead for us. When we don't pray, He is praying for us. And this same Jesus is praying for you today too. He may be praying for you to come to Him for the first time. He may be praying for you to keep coming to Him. Jesus is praying so that we can pray. And when you pray, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, we love you. Lord, if we're real honest this morning, you already know we don't pray like we should. We desire so many things that are less and unbecoming of you. Lord, we slip back into the mind frame of being orphans instead of being heirs. Would you help us? Would you teach us to pray? Would you, Lord God, take our hearts and souls that are so prone to wonder and bind them to You? Father, we love You. And this morning, we can honestly say before You, we want to be all that You've called us to be. Practice communion with You through praying. Through having a life so devoted to Jesus that it's like we go out into the world and we come down from the mountain like Moses did and we have to shield our face because of all the glory. That's what we want. And it's to this that we pray. Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know You, may today be the day that You've called them to Yourself and may they respond to Your free call of grace. May they respond and say, Jesus, I want You. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Father, for those of us who need to pray the way that You've called us to, may we ask You, O oh God, help us to pray. May we respond appropriately this morning. Be all that You've desired us to be. In the power of Your Spirit, in the name of the Son, to the glory of the Father, and all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. 
If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.